0: Good morning, City Light. I'm Mozart, one of the church planners at Lincoln. This is an exciting morning. Uh, Very exciting morning. I'm so glad to be here. Um, It's such an honor just to stand here and be able to preach that your pastors would be so gracious to let this guy from Lincoln come and speak to Omaha, folks. It's a big deal. Uh, They've been loving me really well, encouraging me, praying for me. Uh, as I've been uh, awaiting Austin's arrival in the Lincoln. And so uh, this is a great day. I'm I'm excited to be able to share what God has been teaching me uh, through this process today. And so we're going to be finding ourselves in Psalm 27. Um, But first, uh, I want to talk about what I've been learning. So there's two two places, two postures in life that uh, we usually carry. It's either one, we live a life paralyzed by fear or we live a life empowered by faith. So we can either be paralyzed by the fear of our circumstances, whether that be uh, our finances or changing circumstances, changing uh, relational dynamics. We can be paralyzed by fear of financial situations or a health diagnosis like cancer and those sorts of things. Or we have the other option of living by faith in the God who is able and to do immeasurably anything we can ask or think. And so let me tell you, how that works out with me. So a few months ago, I had a stable job. So I was working full-time, 40 hours a week, um, minding my own business. Uh, Like, I was doing a job, and I was basically plugging away at that. I got paid, so checks came in regularly. All I had to do was show up. So that was really helpful, right? And then, um, and so my four kids, they were happy. They weren't starving. And now, God calls me into this thing. He compels my heart for the people of Lincoln and says, hey, I want you to go. And so then the City Light guys say, hey, yeah, we want to be a part of that. Um, And so I'm compelled by God to see people in Lincoln hear about Jesus. Real, tangible people hear about Jesus. But there's got to be this fear, right, that comes with that. Like, yes. It might sound really awesome when a guy says yes to step out in faith at a Church. You're like, man, that guy has some awesome faith, supernatural. And I'm like, no, I'm just like everybody else in the room. Like, I'm scared out of my mind on most days, right? Like, when those, when those types of things, to step out into, in faith and step out as to what God would call you into, there's some things that are going on. And so this is very real to me um, because the questions that ring in your mind are, okay, so what if they don't like how you preach? I mean, just really, like, I mean, this is one test of that right now. Like, if I walk out today, they might say, well, let me try to find a different Lincoln guy. So that could happen. Um, The the thought process is, okay, well, what if we launch this thing and we have 20 people in the room, which means I can't feed my kids anything but powdered eggs and government cheese. So, like, like, there's some real possibilities there that are fearful and keep me up at night sometimes. What if we can't raise enough money? What if this thing is a real possibility and I actually have to lead people? Like there's some fears, there's some anxieties. So over the past few months, I've realized that I've been pushed out into the deep water, right? Like the deep end of the pool, there's no more kiddie pool now. Uh, It's not the the three-foot pool that I have for my kids anymore. It's like either sink or swim. And so with that comes some fears and anxiety. And the only thing that has given me any confidence in my ever changing circumstances that i have faith in the living god who takes weak things and simple things and makes li- makes them strong yeah. and so god is not broke <laughs> he's not broke he's got lots of money right he's got cattle on a thousand hills he can provide he's provided for this church when they were in a small building of 300 and now we're in this beautiful facility now here to worship him and so god it's calling my heart to remember who he is in the midst of just some real things, some real fears, some real faith. And City Light, today I want to bring to you this. I want to bring to you what I want you to do is experience today the joy and the freedom of being able to have faith and trust the living God. And so all of us are going to find ourselves in circumstances that are overwhelming, too big for us. Too, too much for us to be able to handle, right? I mean, we've probably experienced some of those things either right now or within the last year even. So let's really get going and see how big our God really is. So we'll look at Psalm 27, and let's get in it. So Psalms, the Psalms, as we know, at least this one in particular, is written by David, King David, and I love King David. So here's why I love King David. King David is a dude that I can relate to because he does some crazy stuff. But, like, the thing that I relate to most is when you read through the Psalms, what you find is that this guy is just like us. So when you read through there, you get one moment when he's like, holy praise God. Thank you, God, for being so near to me. I panteth after you. I long for you. You are so awesome. And then the next minute he's like, please don't let them kill me. Right. Like, like, it's like, where did that come from, David? Why? All of a sudden you're so fearful. And it's like, man, this, this living schizophrenia that we live in. In one moment, we're praising God. and the next moment, we're like, God, are you actually going to there? Are you really going to come through? And so I relate to David because he's does, he goes through some real stuff. He goes through real life. I mean, there is one time where he's being chased by a king, right? King Saul, as you, you might know. And he, this is his best friend's dad. He's trying to kill him. They're sending armies after him. And so he's going through some hard things. He, he even, at some point in his life, went through a process where his own sons were trying to destroy his career, destroy his life, and take his kingship. And so he's gone through some hard things. And so when he comes in, he comes in to disciple us in the midst of our fears of changing circumstances and the unknown. And so when we look at David, that's how we have to look at him. We have to look at him in such a way to say, how is he going to disciple our heart today? And so the first thing that he wants to do with our heart is to build trust. And when he builds trust, what that means is that we have to have confidence in Jesus and not our circumstances. So how does David get there? How does David get to the place of saying, hey... I trust in the Lord with everything. Well, the first thing that he does here with this trust is he starts to recall his background. Like what he's been through. He starts to do a spiritual inventory of how has God come through in my life. So there's two ways that we get to know God. One is his holy word, right? So we can read and testify to what we see in this book right here as to what God has accomplished in this world. And then... We can look at what he's already done in our own life and our experiences. So, David does that same thing in the fearful moment, in the, in the big situations in the life, big circumstances. He said, My God is very big. So much so that when he says, He says here in verse 2 and 3, he says, When evil, evildoers assail me, though an ar- army in kept me, yet I will be confident. Who does he say he's in com- confident in? Is he confident in himself? Is he confident in those circumstances? No, he says, I'm confident in the Lord. So let me ask you this week, City Light, did you have a bad week? Have you had a hard week? Like, some of you like came in, I'm sure, just kind of weary and like, man, it was a tough week. However, were there people trying to kill you this week? No. Probably not, right? Like, probably not people trying to assail you or kill you. So let's be honest, we're not David. Right? We're not going through the same stuff that David's going through. We're not having people try to kill us. We're not killing other people necessarily. Maybe some of you in the back, I don't know. Um, but most of us, generally speaking, ain't trying to kill someone on a regular basis or trying to have somebody kill us. But the thing that I do know about David is I haven't experienced what he's experienced, but I felt some of the similar things that he's felt as well. And so I felt that fear. I felt the, the, the process of the unknown and being fearful. Uh, I grew up in a home where my father was a drug addict. So in that was a lot of unknowns and a lot of fears. Uh, and so, so as I was processing through that uh, the other day, I started thinking about it. It's like the unknown for me was I could get a PlayStation for Christmas, and it might be gone by March. I can get a new bicycle, a Huffy, so no, 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 uh, no nice bikes, but a Huffy at least, and that could be gone by spring, so I wouldn't even get a chance to ride it. Like Those are the kind of unknowns that I lived through. And if you look at a guy like me with a history like that, most people are predicting that dude's going to end up in jail or prison and selling drugs, right? Like, let's be honest, that's the, the, that was my trajectory. I mean, there were people who said, man, you should probably try out community college because I don't know if you can make it through. That's what was told to me. And so my future was unknown, but then the God of the universe would intercede for me, my freshman year of college, and save me from the destruction that was already within me, save me from the fearful mentality of trying to self-protect, but instead, he intervened, and he, he became my salvation. And so David, in the midst of his mentor and best friend's dad trying to murder him, trying to kill him, trying to wipe him off the face of the earth, in the, in the midst of his dark places, he trusted God, and God rescued him. In these first three verses, church, he's calling us to a place of remembrance that David wants to first tell us, hey, remember the past. Remember what God has already done. Remember that God has shown himself to you. So City Light, take heart and remember today what God has done for you. Like he hasn't, he, he has done so many wonderful things in our lives. He's given us salvation. He's provided for us every single day of our life. So point one, confidence in Jesus, not our circumstances. The second place that David goes is, is one of desire. He goes to the desires of our heart. He says our heart must be, begin to fix, our hearts must begin to fix our attention on Jesus and not created things. we got to fix it on Jesus first. And so here's what he says. He goes in, in verse 4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that, may dwe- that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to qu- inquire on his temple. One thing. He said, I, g- I asked one thing. Now, our temptation in reading that, though, is like, okay, well, Let's take this to the spiritual thing. That means he wants to abode in heaven, right? He wants to hang out in heaven. That's where our minds usually take us as uh, second century or 21st century Christians. But you got to consider David's context. So David's context is he doesn't actually have the Holy Spirit living in him. His context is the fact that he knows that the presence of God can be found where God's people are worshiping the temple. And so when he says, I want to gaze upon the Lord, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, he's talking about what we're doing right now. Like, what we're doing right now is exactly what he's talking about. I want to get the church. I want to be in the temple with God's people because he wants to experience the living God. In a place of fear, church, in a place of fear, our our tendency is to retreat from God. But David said, no, I want to press in. I want to be around God. I want to be around God's people because that's where fear is conquered. That's where faith starts to happen. I want to experience Jesus. David knew in his time of fear he needed to be with God's people. Now... We can do that right now, can't we? Like, if we're going to talk about us, 21st century, we can do that right now. Like, let's not pretend like us showing up here is checking off some sort of list that we got to check off for Jesus. Like, I hope that we've moved on from that, that good people go to, good, go to church and that it's the right thing to do has surpassed, has passed on. And now we can live in a place that, no, I desire to be here to celebrate and take joy in Jesus and the fellowship of his people. Now when we come here it's not going to church it's the church gathered to worship and be in the presence of the living God and his family to gaze upon the Lord's beauty. So what does it mean to gaze though upon the beauty cuz like when that's kind of poetic language I know Gavin's a poet he's written some stuff Dr. Seuss whatever but I'm not a poet okay best poets I know is like Chris Tupac you know Jay-Z Maybe those guys. So, so, so it seems a little poetic for me to talk about that. But let me, let, me, let me put this in your head a little bit. To gaze on the beauty of something is something very powerful, right? So think about this. When's the last time you just sat and looked at something, gazed upon something beautiful? When's the last time? Like, have you been to the Grand Canyon recently? Have you looked up in the stars when you got outside of the city because we have light pollution? Like, have you looked at the stars? Like, what happens when you do that? You stand there, and you just look with amazement, right? Like, you stand in awe in the beauty. But then you have to ask yourself, what did it profit you to do that? Like, what did that, that, that beauty bring to the table for you to consume? Nothing. The Grand Canyon is a, a hole in the ground. Literally, that's exactly what it is. Stars in the sky, they're gas. Like, just gas, lit up gas in the air, right? Like, just light a fire, boom, there's a star. They don't bring any inherent value to your bottom line. However, we still stand in awe in the beauty that they are. And so in the same way, when God, when David calls us into this present presence of God, it's because of his intrinsic value. It's who he is, not what he's going to do for me. It's, it's what he, he, the expanse of what he's already done in, in creation that you get to see his beauty. We get to see his beauty in, in the Grand Canyon because he's created it. He wanted to be in God. So, so here's what David's learned. He learned that to know God was to want to know him more. Yes. To know him more. Not want more of his stuff. Not want more what he can give us. But want to know him deeply. The reality is in this verse, David could have said he desired a multitude of things. He could have said, I desire my safety. Right? People were trying to kill him. He could have desired a bigger gun or instead of a sword. That would have been helpful at that time, right? That, that would have been good. Uh, he could have said, hey, I, w- I desire for God to change my circumstances, but no, 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 wait a minute, church. He said, no, my God is much bigger than the circumstances, so I want to be around him. I want to be in his presence with his people. Now, the cool thing about that being first, second, oh, sorry, 21st century Christians is that we have a little bit better perspective than David did. Did you know that? We have a little bit better perspective. Here's why. David only had half his Bible. Because he was only looking forward to the coming Messiah. He was only looking forward to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, like I said before, did not dwell within him, but just kind of surrounded him at times of need. But with us, we have this victory. We know the resurrected king died, was crucified, and rose from the grave so that we might have life. We know that. We can look back at that and see that God is huge because he redeemed a sinful people. Not only do we get that, we get the gift of God's present day in and day out, not just in the gathered body, but in the presence of our cereal, in the presence of driving to work, in the presence of the mundane, in the presence of the shower. God can meet you anywhere, church, like City Light. Isn't that good news for us, that because we have the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in us, we can walk day by day, moment by moment, in the presence of God. So when we have fear, we can actually remove that fear by being in the presence of God to have faith. Amen? Like, that's what God has called us into. That is good news. That is the good news that we're clinging to. We're not clinging to the security of our circumstances, but the Savior of our souls. So let me talk a little bit about that. So, to say you're going to plant a church is fun and exciting, right? And like I talked about earlier, there's a lot of fear that comes into it. So let me, let me tell, you, tell you a little bit more about this situation. So I quit my job, and two weeks later, the guy that said he's planting a church with me flies halfway around the world to sit on, a, on an island on the beach in Thailand. He said, I'm going to be there for 30 days, so get some stuff done. Okay? Like, I'm trying to figure out how that works With me. So what happens is I start to retreat and feel lonely. Because, I mean, dude's really far away. He's calling me on Facebook. I didn't even know you could do that. Like, that's a real thing, apparently. Okay, anyway. So I'm sitting here being lonely. I'm up till midnight most nights, up at 6 in the morning, just grinding day in and day out. So what that does, it puts me in a pity party. So I'm an introvert, so I like to be alone. But what I end up doing is isolating and feeling lonely. The fear starts to creep up more and more. And more and more and more and more, my kids, I'm seeing their faces smiling, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed you in three months. (laughs) Amen? Amen. I don't know if this thing's going to work. And so here's what God does. Here's how the presence of God works. One of your pastors inevitably sends me a text message with encouragement. Inevitably, God sends one of those guys to say, hey, man, you're doing a great job. Things are working out really awesome. Let's come pray today with you. Inevitably, God would send my wife to encourage me with just her excitement for church planning. Like, seriously, like, this is the most excited she's ever been for any ministry I've done. And it's such an encouragement to my soul that she's in with me. Like, I'm not alone. My kids are coming and saying, hey, when we get the new building, can I help paint? Like, that encourages my soul. My daughter's like, let's paint. Let's make welcome signs. Let's get on it. And then God does the better thing. He does the better thing because he speaks to my heart. And he says, you can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life. Yes. He said, I am present with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. In fact, you're not the one doing the work anyway. I am. Yeah. Yes, and so he just, he just continues to, to shepherd my heart and say, hey, I got you. You can dwell in my presence. There's no fear when I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see him as my utmost desire. And not my good circumstances. So, so, church, David basically said to us, for us to know God is to want more of God. In times of our greatest de- des- desperation, we need to fix our attention on Jesus and move towards seeking him and not to change our circumstances. Yeah. All right, the third place he goes. Here we go. The third place. In times of fear, the third place we need to go is prayer. That seems like the cookie-cutter answer, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, we're at church. We know. We pray. But, but l- l- let me take a look at this. So, so in, your, in your bulletin, it says, pray. It says, our heart must call on Jesus for help and not shrink into fear and insecurity. So this, this psalm takes a crazy transition for us and makes it very personal with us and David. Because David starts to display, display his heart in the midst of fear. And so in, in, in 7, that crazy transition, here's what he says. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. So it's kind of a weird transition because we just looked at his confidence, right? So why is he doing this? Why is he all of a sudden getting on his knees and praying when he knows what is true? Because those two things that are true the fact that God has come through in the past, the fact that he can dwell in God's presence pushes him into an authentic relationship with Jesus, pushes him into a bold and confident relationship with Jesus where he's going to get on his knees and he's going to plead with the Lord to stay consistent. He's going to plead with the Lord to continue to change his heart and move him toward him. In fact, even at one point here he says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. There's a confident prayer. There's a bold prayer there. I mean, can we be honest? Like that's one of the top fears of our life is that somebody that we love would reject us or not accept us, or eventually their love will run out for us because we've sinned too much or we're not the personality that they wanted or whatever that might be. And he said, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to be there. And let me show you how that plays out in our flesh, though. So when we have that kind of fear, the fear of a loved one leaving us, departing from us because of us, what do we do? What do our hearts do in the flesh? Well, first thing that we try to do or we might try to do is to seek to please that person, to earn that person's favor, saying, well, I'll just do anything. I'll give up my dignity. I'll give up my pride. I'll give up my possessions. Whatever it takes to win your favor right here, right now, that's what I'm willing to do. Let me do it for you. It's just kind of this begging mentality, right? Or the second one, we become exchangers. So this plays out a lot of times in our marriages, right? Right? Where, where we step in and we say, okay, if you give me, then I'll give you, right? It's a trading process rather than a giving process in the marriage setting, but also just relationally, right? So, so it's like, man, we'll just give and take as opposed to 100% and 100% in those relationships. And the final one is one that we definitely do too, is we push people away. Like when we have that fear that they might leave us, we push back. We say, I'm going to keep you at arm's length because I can't trust that you won't hurt me. So I'm not going to let you hurt me too much. But there's good news. There's good news that our flesh nature doesn't have to do that. That that the gospel comes in and says that God says, come those who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you a greater yoke, a yoke of, of ease, a yoke of peace. You can have my yoke. I will take it. You do not have to fear because my love is eternal. It's unquenching. His love does not cease nor increase based on our behavior. The gospel does not say, what have you done for God lately? The gospel actually, in fact, says, look at who God is and what he has done. God does not ask you to win his favor over. He's already won it over in Jesus, so now you can just come to the table. Right? That's not what our relationship with Jesus is predicated upon. Through the gospel, we don't have to push God away. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because he's our Father and He loves us. He asks us to pray. That's what prayer is for us. And that's how we approach that throne. So so again, you have to say, okay, that's great, but why? So I will tell you a little bit about my son. I have a, a two and a half year old, his name's Uriah. Cute as all can be. He'll be here in second service. So if you want to come back. You'll see that cuteness, beauty, all that. Anyway, so he wakes up every single morning before everybody else, and including me. He wakes me up. Um, so then he comes in and says, "Okay, let's go downstairs." All right, I go downstairs with him, and and I'm here making my coffee because I need coffee. If I don't get coffee, I might hurt somebody. And so he comes in here all cute and says, "Daddy, I'm so hungry. Feed me, Daddy. I'm so hungry now." Here's the thing. This is, our, this is our consistent pattern every single morning, including this morning, okay? Like, he knows that I'm going to feed him, but why does he keep persisting? Why does he continue every single morning, day in and day out, asking for me to feed him, even though he knows that I'm going to provide for him? I think one of it is he wants to let me know the urgency of how quickly he'd like his meal prepared, right? Like, that is one of them. I ain't going to lie. That, I know that's one of them. But I think in his heart of hearts, there's, there's a, second, a second motivation there. I think that second motivation is the fact that he wants to show me and show his own heart that he's in great dependence on me. Yeah. So when we pray to God, we show our great dependence on God and reject the sinful posture of autonomy. Like, l- let, me, let me say that one more time. I, I think we need to take that in. When we pray, we show our great dependence on God and reject the sinful posture of autonomy. I got it myself, right? Right? And so in times of fear, we need to go to the throne of grace and pray and petition the Heavenly Father to be our victory instead of ourselves. And then finally, David, gives us a benediction that he hinges the whole passage on in verse uh, 13 and 14. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's not talking about later on. He's not talking about in heaven. He's talking about right here, right now. I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in this land and wait for the Lord Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So the final place that our heart has to go is a place of waiting. Our heart must wait on Jesus and his power and not trust in our own might. In these fearful times, we must have a posture of trust and patience. We have to trust that we see the Lord's victory in the here and now and not waiting for it later. We will see victory now. Know that Jesus' power is the thing that raised Christ from the dead, remember? Remember that when you were able to pray that prayer or when you finally saw Jesus clearly for the first time, there was a power that just gave you release, right? That your sin could not give you. Our sin cannot release, give us peace. But, but in that moment when the gospel was so clear to you, it gave you this freedom, this peace. And so if we know that so well and that the Spirit of God lives in us, then patience is a byproduct, right? Right? Like, we can wait on him because we know that he's good. We ex- we've experienced his goodness. Broken people can experience his goodness. We, people apart from God at one point, can experience the goodness of God, and so we can persevere. We have standing power in the waiting on the Lord's victories. I've experienced this. You've experienced this. And so, City Light, I want to end by asking you this. How are you right now being paralyzed because of some sort of fear in your life that is bigger than God? What what is that fear in your life that's placing your life over God? And then the the other part is, what in your life just causes you to be afraid? What are those utmost fears? Is it losing your job, losing a child, a diagnosis of some sort? What is that? Because David, he had lots of drama in his life. In fact, he did lose a child. But he lived with a confident faith because he trusted that God was bigger than the things that were pressing in and threatening his joy. May we be a people who remain focused on King Jesus and a confidence in his power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so gracious to us. We thank you that you are so good that you've given us past victories that we're able to just point to and say, yes, Jesus, thank you. You've given us present victories that we can be in your presence right now with these people. We thank you that we can even come to the throne of grace with just a heart of boldness, but a heart of humility at the same time, that we can approach your throne of thrones, not as a slave, but as a son, as a daughter. God, we ask that you would help us be a persevering people, a waiting people who trust you and has faith in you and in place of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.